Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, David Johnston's Rough Ride. I will continue to invite disagreement on my recommendations, but will not be deterred from completing my work. The special rapporteur appears before the Procedures Committee. Three hours of cross-examination, but what was learned about foreign interference? We will speak with former CSIS officer Michel Junot Katsuya. Also... Were you telling Canadians the truth on May the 23rd or back in 2016? What to make of the questions being asked of the former Governor-General? We'll speak with three political observers. And... Conservatives are uh, creating an enormous amount of mischief with incredibly juvenile tactics. With the spring sitting nearing its end, what are the government's priorities and what will they have to do to move ahead with its agenda? We will speak with Liberal House Leader Mark Holland. This is Primetime Politics. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Serapio. The special rapporteur on foreign interference found himself in the hot seat today. David Johnston, facing three hours of questioning from the Procedures and House Committee, asked about his recommendation against a public inquiry and his relationship with the Prime Minister and the Trudeau family. All the while, Mr. Johnston trying to keep the focus on what he believes is the bigger issue, protecting Canadian democracy. I would encourage the members of the committee to read the report that we have prepared and focus our attention on the real danger we have here, which is clear, present, pervasive foreign interference in our elections. In our report, we try to avoid the discussions of a partisan kind that you referred to, to follow the facts, apply the law thoroughly, thoughtfully. And I would urge us to get on with this important matter of foreign interference that does require immediate attention by this body and the institutions of parliament to protect our national security and protect our citizens. With his take on the special rapporteur's appearance, we're now joined by Michelle Junot Katsuya, former intelligence officer and manager with CSIS. Michelle, good to see you again. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Listen, I want to begin with uh, your experience here, because as one who has worked in and with Canada's intelligence community, uh, what did you make of Mr. Johnston's appearance today? Fortunately, I, I, I think uh, I will have to side with the opposition when it comes to the impartiality of uh, Mr. Johnson. Uh, despite the uh, phenomenal uh, career that uh, he's led before, uh, today, the response that we are receiving from him uh, is, is basically sort of a, a repetition of what Mr. Trudeau have been trying to say for a long period of time, which is to push the blame everywhere else, but except to take the responsibilities of what the government has or has not done uh, in order to deal with uh, foreign interference. Okay, well, let's pick up on that, because, you know, when you listen to the opposition, part of their issue has to do with Mr. Johnson's conclusion, uh, which essentially said that based on what he saw, there is no evidence that the Trudeau government failed to act on foreign interference concerns. At the same time, uh, he's not sharing the information, and in fact, he points the blame uh, essentially on what he calls uh, a communication failure with the intelligence community. What do you make of that? That's where I really get off the train at that point, because uh, 
for the last 30 years, I've been part of the intelligence community, and I know that we have been bringing the warning and the, 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 the information all the way up to the, every prime minister since Mr. Maroney. Uh, in every case, we've seen all the prime ministers either ignoring, either uh, failing to take action, or simply by uh, using the information to their own development, so to their own uh, need. So in that perspective, uh, I'm, I'm not in agreement at all with Mr. Johnson in that perspective. I think Mr. Trudeau, as just like his predecessor, uh, failed to take action when it was time to take action. Now, of course, part of the problem here, too, is the fact that uh, Johnston's con conclusions here are, are, are based on evidence, intelligence evidence, that he's not sharing. He's not actually uh, connecting a path for parliamentarians to understand why he's actually come to this conclusion. Uh, what do you make of that? Because we are dealing with, with, with top-secret intelligence here. It is top-secret intelligence, but the intelligence is very, very important, and CSIS would not sit on that information without passing it and relaying it to uh, the prime minister or somebody in its immediate entourage. Uh, so, so, and it is so easy also to accuse an organization that you know will not take the microphone and will not go and defend themselves or, 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 or say the opposite. Uh, at this point, unfortunately, I think it's, it's, it's a wash. And, and this is an extremely disappointing perspective that I'm, I'm seeing here from Mr. Uh, Johnson. Like I said, I can only honor the career that he has before. But when it comes now to try to resolve this situation, a phenomenal crisis, shall I re repeat, uh, that Canada is going through, uh, I'm not seeing in as part of the solution. I'm seeing in as part of the problem. Okay, now part of the remedy of this could be a public inquiry. We've heard that time and again from opposition MPs, but uh, Mr. Johnson says that a public inquiry cannot be had because you're dealing with such sensitive information. What do you make of that assessment then? Do you think a public inquiry is one necessary and two possible? Well, at the beginning, I wasn't in favor necessarily of a public inquiry for some of the good reason that Mr. Johnson has mentioned, that a good amount of any information will be classified and will not be able to be shared with the general public for the right operational reason. Uh, unfortunately, the more the government has been dragging and the more Mr. Johnson has been dragged into sort of playing this role that it seems that uh, uh, is convenient to the government, uh, the more now the public inquiry seems unavoidable uh, because the public is losing trust in our institutions. The public is losing trust in our leadership and our allies are losing trust in our uh, ability to resolve this situation. Um, we went from bad to worse to terrible uh, uh, management as we speak. Michelle, thank you for this. Appreciate the time. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. That's Michelle Junot Katsuya. The approach that the opposition parties, particularly the Conservatives, have taken in terms of personal attacks, in terms of smearing uh, the prosecutor, uh, smearing uh, David Johnston and uh, his team, are absolutely irresponsible and unserious. The issue of foreign interference is one that needs to be taken seriously, and falling into baseless partisan attacks isn't worthy of the work that we need to do together as parliamentarians.
Well, that was the Prime Minister from earlier this morning, once again making arguments for the former Governor General, now Special Rapporteur. But those repeated defenses did not stop opposition MPs from asking tough questions of David Johnston, taking issues with his conclusion that no public inquiry is needed and with Mr. Johnston's relationship with the Trudeau family. Now, Mr. Johnson, what we have before this committee are two completely different descriptions of your relationship with Justin Trudeau. Those two different descriptions cannot be accurate at the same time. So my question is simple and direct, Mr. Johnston. Were you telling Canadians the truth on May the 23rd or back in 2016? Madam Chair, telling the truth with connection with my um, relationship with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau goes back to when our children were teenagers and during the course of uh, almost 40 years we had no meetings, no dinners at one another's homes, no particular contact. Was it a friend of uh, the father, etc.? But those were the extent of the contacts. Well, for their reaction to Mr. Johnston's appearance and the questions being asked, we're now joined by three political observers. Carleen Varian is Associate Vice President at Summa Strategies, Gary Keller, Vice President at Strategy Corps, and James Valky, Director of Research and Strategy at Viewpoints. Nice to see all three of you. Good to be here. Hi, Michael. Listen, I want to begin here with a quick go-around, because I'm wondering what you made of the questions being asked, really, of Mr. Johnston, both the substance and the tone of them. Did it tell you anything about what the members of that committee were trying to achieve? Carlene, I'll get you to start. I mean, I think the fact that you had party leaders show up to committee kind of bumping their designated caucus representative, which they typically don't, demonstrated that at least to a certain extent, the opposition party saw this really as an opportunity to further fuel media coverage of the story rather than a time for serious inquiry. I also was interested that among the first questions for uh, David Johnston were not about his work investigating foreign interference, but whether he may or may not have had supper with Justin Trudeau when he was a child once. I think that tells you about how seriously the Conservatives are taking this committee um, when it comes to actually getting down to uh, finding ways to learn more about foreign interference or what we can do to stop it. Um, so those were my take. Yeah, yeah. Gary, what was your takeaway from them? Yeah, I thought there was two sets of uh, questions or two sort of themes through the through the meeting. The first one was really focused around uh, Mr. Johnson's uh, past relationship and his uh, relationship to the Trudeau Foundation and the Trudeau family. Uh, and it's no surprise conservatives led off on that because that has been part of their uh, reasoning uh, uh, why Mr. Johnson uh, should recuse himself from this. And it you know really goes to less about. Uh, his integrity and more about his judgment uh, in some of the appointments he had. On the other hand, there were some really substantive questions, I think, from all parties about the content of report and, frankly, some of the uh, inconsistencies that what was in Mr. Johnson's report and what was later testified specifically uh, by Mr. O'Toole to the point where even Mr. Johnson had to acknowledge that, well, maybe he didn't have the full story in his report. And I actually think that uh, a number of members of parliament did a, a fairly um, deep job at kind of blowing a hole into some of what uh, Mr. Johnson had said, even to the point where uh, an Ontarian from the Bloc Québécois made a very good point that he hadn't even bothered to talk to either the Commissioner of Canada Elections or the Chief Electoral Officer about something as as, as specific as elections. So I think there were two sets of uh, two themes to the questions there. Um, and I think uh, it was very interesting to hear some of the testimony today. Okay, James, what was your takeaway from that? 
Yeah, I, I agree with Gary on a lot of the points. There were some substantive questions, which I think got to the bottom of some of the issues that Mr. Johnson may have been uh, not focusing on as much as some of the parties would want. Um, but then there are some personal things, too. And there was certainly some uh, people trying to rack up points at the start of the, com the midi committee meeting, at least. Um, I think the conservatives came out like uh, with the nuance of a brick thrown at a window. Uh, they were a bit overly aggressive, um, but they were very direct in what their messaging was. And they were keen to highlight some of the things they saw as conflicts of interest. Um, for the liberals part, I do think that they, you know, kind of dragged the puck a little bit here and there. But um, one of the things they also tried to do is, you know, uh, the liberals and conservatives turn into that Spider-Man meme where they all end up pointing at each other, trying to say, well, you know, back in 2008, uh, Stephen Harper said this about David Johnson and the current leader, Pierre Polly, have said this about David Johnson, you know, as if um, they were trying to catch each other in a trap. Um, but when the objective uh, questions got out there, I do think the content was enough to raise some flags with uh, ordinary observers of this committee, uh, questioning whether or not David Johnson has the full scope of 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 the of the of the issue in hand. Yeah, well, you know, that, that raises an interesting point, James, because, you know, the, as you point out here, uh, there there are these questions being asked of Mr. Johnston. Uh, he wants Canadians to focus on the bigger issue of how to stop foreign interference, but can he legitimately do that if there are still lingering questions about whether or not he gave uh, the, the Prime Minister and the government a free pass on their response to interference in the last two elections, and whether or not uh, there are, you know, these lingering questions as well uh, about perhaps details that the opposition wants to know more about. Gary, I'll get you to start that one. I, I think, you know, I'll leave it to the words of former ethics commissioner Mary Dawson, who uh, in the Global Mail this morning, her quote was, what a mess. And even though she said there may not be a, 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 a legal conflict of interest, there is an appearance of conflict of interest. And that makes this job for Mr. Johnson very, very difficult. And I think this is the problem that has been bedeviling Mr. Johnson along. This is essentially dealing with elections, and elections are often driven by, as we know, political interests. And uh, somebody who is not a political actor seems to be surprised that there are political questions being asked about his ties to, to the Liberal Party. I think even more damaging to Mr. Johnson's work is less so the, the, the relationship he may or may not have had with Mr. Trudeau. The Trudeau, fund, Trudeau Foundation itself, I think, is problematic. But his chief legal counsel, Sheila Block, I mean, not only was a multi-thousand dollar donor to the Liberal Party, she attended a specific fundraiser two years ago with uh, with the prime minister, a Liberal Party fundraiser with the prime minister. That certainly increases the risk that there's appearance of, of a conflict of interest. And Mr. John's reply was, well, she hasn't been in any rooms. Well, it was a Zoom call. So I guess they were in a Zoom room together. But still, uh, you know, I think these are problematic questions that the opposition parties have a right to, to, to question. And Michael Chong, I think, said it best when he said, our job is to hold the government accountable. And we can't seem to get answers to this. And your role isn't actually, you know, making it easier to do that because of these perceived conflicts. Yeah, Carly, what do you say to that? Because again, the question here is, can David Johnson re legitimately do uh, his investigation if there are still lingering questions about him and the details around his conclusion? There's no 
question that David Johnston's job has been made more difficult uh, and, and will continue to be a challenging one as he kicks off uh, further hearings this summer. But what we need to ask ourselves is uh, why it's being made more difficult. And I think a large part of it is that uh, political parties have decided to make a partisan issue out of this investigation into foreign interference. The reality is, uh, when, when he was first appointed as special rapporteur, every single party was consulted on that appointment um, before it was made. As we've talked about before on the program, you know, there's a relatively small, quite a small group of Canadians who were probably on the shortlist for being able to serve in a role like this. Uh, generally speaking, I think that those who were involved in the decision would have likely thought that a governor general appointed by conservative prime minister Stephen Harper, who had served under both liberal and conservative administrations, would likely be an acceptable pick, especially considering, you know, past roles that he's played, like in the Airbus inquiry. Um, with Brian Mulroney and things like that. Um, but right from the get-go, what we saw from the opposition parties, I'd say particularly from the Conservatives, was a determination uh, to repeatedly uh, and incessantly attack his credibility. So unfortunately, from a certain perspective, I think the die was cast from the start um, and his work was always going to be made difficult by these kinds of attacks. And, and it's unfortunate because the people who, uh, who who bear the consequences of that at the end of the day are really Canadians. Yeah, James, what do you say to that? Yeah, no, I, I, I understand the point of view. I, I think that if we're talking about some of this, like, the questions that were asked of David Johnson at committee, you know, Jagmeet Singh was there to question him and he asked him, you know, a lot of members of the diaspora community um, don't feel safe or secure uh, going to a public forum and expressing what they feel through fear of intimidation. How will you fix that? And and Mr. Johnson's response was actually not quite good. Um, and that's too bad because he needs to be able to respond to those things. Um, I think that what we have here is a difference between perception and reality. Um, in you know, what they say in politics, perception is reality. And right now we have a question out there that's actively going on and, you know, is being reinforced daily with new news stories. It's not just the political parties. There are new news stories coming out daily that question whether or not David Johnson has the impartiality to fulfill this mandate. Um, and, and, you know, I would say this is new if it, if it, if it was, but it's not even during the Mulroney Schreiber affair, when David Johnson came out with recommendations about how the public inquiry and the scope of the public inquiry, one of the things he didn't recommend is the motivation, whether or not there was a kickback scheme in that cash, cash envelopes full of cash that were changed hands. Um, and at the time, the opposition liberals called that a whitewashing. I think the, the, the problem is, is right now we are in a perception and reality thing. And I think the perception is growing that there there is a conflict of interest and some of the actions that are being taken are reinforcing that. And I think that's a hard problem for the government to get out of. OK, so and I have to say this has to be a quick one because I only have about a couple of minutes left here. What does it mean for his work then? Here we are just a couple of weeks before for the end of this spring sitting. Uh, parliamentarians will be heading back to their constituencies. Uh, they won't be keeping this issue alive every day here in Ottawa. So what does that mean for, for, this, for his hearings? Does that make it easier for him? Does it uh, still rob him of any type of legitimacy, even if he files something, if there are questions whether or not he should be the man doing this? Carlene, I'll begin with you. The more that we can pull politics out of the equation as he conducts this work, 
the better off I think our democracy will be. Um, and then the higher the quality of the work that I think he'll be able to do will be. So the fact that this work will continue through the summer um, without the, the partisanship and the exchanges that we see in the House of Commons every day, I think uh, certainly can't hurt. Gary? Yes, good question. I actually think that would it be surprising if Prime Minister Trudeau came along at the end of the session and said, well, in order to let Mr. Johnson do his work in a nonpartisan and, and balanced fashion, we're going to need to parole Parliament. Uh, that would prevent any other parliamentary committees from doing its work. The rumors of prorogation have been going around Parliament Hill now. So that wouldn't surprise me at all if that happened. Uh, but I also want to note both from Mr. Singh's testimony and some other testimony from Mr. Chong as well, the reluctance of diaspora groups to participate in public hearings could actually hamstring Mr. Johnson's work uh, because of, of those diaspora communities' fear of being targeted by uh, outside influence, including Chinese influence. Okay, James, last word to you. I'll be quick. I mean, that vote in the House of Commons happened. You can't erase it. And he is going to be dragging that like an anchor behind him for as long as he does these committee hearings. Um, I do think that there are some problems that might be remedied once the House rises. But until then, this thing's just going to keep boiling. Okay. Well, we will speak again. But for now, thank you for this, Carlene, Gary, James. Really appreciate the time today. Great to be with you. Members of Parliament have a few late nights in their near future with the spring sitting coming to a close. The Trudeau Liberals still want to get a number of bills passed and opposition tactics is delaying the government's agenda. To talk about what is happening, we're now joined by the government House Leader Mark Holland. Mr. Holland, nice to see you again. Thanks for having me. Listen, we have a little, what, about three weeks left to get a number of bills passed. Uh, why does this happen all the time? Why does the government always seem to face a crunch at this time of year? Well, it's frustrating. Uh, you know, when I, I had many conversations with the Conservatives, asking them how many speakers they had for different bills, uh, telling them that we had limited time. Uh, and, and when they drag things out throughout the year, rest of the year and refuse to give us information, effectively making us navigate the, um, the parliamentary calendar with a blindfold on, what happens at the end is all of that obstruction and delay and refusal to uh, tell us uh, how much time they need means that we're very pressed at the end. Uh, and so as a result, uh, you know, we're sitting every night to midnight. They've also now taken the additional step, even though they only represent about a third of the House of Commons. Uh, they're trying to block every other party from working by, you know, faking that their voting doesn't work, by pulling out other juvenile tactics like pretending to have points of order that aren't real points of order or points of privilege. So it's, it's frustrating, particularly when the things we're dealing with are so consequential. The budget, uh, the environment, child care uh, is frustrating. Okay, okay, I, I, and I, I hear your argument there, but, but are you trying to move too many bills through without proper review? Because conservatives do admit they're using tactics right now to highlight what they call, and this is their quote, the dangers of your high spending, high inflation, high crime agenda. Are you trying to ram in too much without proper scrutiny? Well, let's just take a look at some of the things they're opposing. One of the things they're opposing is a price on pollution, and they're making it a condition of, uh, of stopping their obstruction even though they themselves ran on putting a price on pollution. Uh, so they actually, every single member of parliament in the House ran on putting a under price a different, on pollution. Under a different leader, though. Well, just still, that's how they were elected. I mean, I, I don't know, uh, certainly from, from my perspective, when I run in an election and I make a commitment, it would be a little bit bizarre then to turn around and to uh, break, not only break the promise, but refuse to support uh, legislation that would keep the promise that I had made. But 
notwithstanding that, um, the budget is very, very clear. It provides um, support, things like the grocery rebate, which actually isn't in the Budget Implementation Act. We're able to deal with that earlier. But other things that are really critically important, like making sure that we have support for students, making sure that we have um, uh, 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 support um, for uh, uh, transitioning to the green economy, making sure that we have support for dental care. These are things that are broadly supported. Uh, these are things that we've been talking about and being debating uh, a very long time. And what I would ask is just look at the speeches the Conservatives are making in the House. They're the exact same speech. They're not offering any new ideas. They're just saying they're opposed. So they're blocking every other party from moving forward when their only thing they're offering is, uh, uh, is really the same speech again and again and again. Uh, if you give us the same speech 36 times or 100 times, it doesn't change the content of what we're dealing with. Okay, now you did get a time allocation for the budget bill, and just this afternoon you, you moved for time allocation uh, regarding C-35, the Child Care Act. Is that something we're going to see more of in these final weeks, uh, essentially limiting uh, the time given to any one issue? Well, I think the, the problem, as we saw on Friday, we lost an entire day of business. The Conservatives pretended they had technical problems. They did not. They actually got into the House and told House officers um, that they were having technical issues when no such problems existed for any other party. It was very self-evident. It was just to sink a day of work. Uh, and then they get up on false uh, points of privilege uh, and try to waste a day and block every other party from doing work. So they leave us very little choice. Um, really what they're saying is, and, and Mr. Polyev, the leader of the official opposition, has said this, that they're going to use every tactic they can to block us from moving forward. Well, that is not democracy. There are three other um, uh, recognized parties in the House of Congress. All of them are trying to do the work of the country, uh, and, and having one party block every other party from doing the business of the country makes no sense, particularly when they're offering no solutions. It's not like they're offering amendments to these bills. It's not like they're saying they want to make changes. They're just saying they oppose them, uh, and they keep giving speeches that are frankly the same speeches over and over again. So it, it doesn't leave us with a lot of choice. Um, uh, I'm reticent to use it. I'm frustrated because in so many instances I've been asking for how many speakers they have, how much time they need, uh, and they've obfuscated, they've refused to give that information. So they are the authors of this circumstance. Is there any way you, you could give anything to, to the Conservative opposition to perhaps get things moving along? Because I, I'm wondering about the relationship between you and really Mr. Scheer at this point to try to get Parliament working. Because from a Canadian point of view, outside of the political realm, this seems just like a lot of nonsense. Well, I totally agree. It is a lot of nonsense. And I, and I have said to uh, Mr. Scheer on numerous occasions, um, uh, let's stop this. Uh, there's many off-ramps. We're willing to work collaboratively. Uh, if they would tell us how many speakers they have, if they would uh, give us an honest accounting of, of what their issues are. Uh, but if they're just going to be against something, um, then frankly, uh, we could give them 100 days, 200 days. We could give them 1,000 years, and they're not going to change their position. So, uh, you know, we have to have an honest conversation about what's in front of us. And I have to say that in many other instances, uh, working with Mr. Shearer, he has been reasonable. This has been a disappointing turn of events since Friday, uh, and the leader of the official opposition's declaration that he's going to hijack Parliament and sabotage uh, its processes and misuse procedure um, to try to block uh, Parliament from doing its work. I hope they step back from that. We're ready to work, and we're ready to cooperate. Okay. Well, I'd give you another thousand seconds, but my director and producer would get really upset with me. But so for now, I'm Mark Holland. Thank you for this. Thanks so much. A quick look now at the stories making headlines today, starting with David Johnston, the special rapporteur on foreign interference, saying he is moving ahead despite the House of Commons calling for his removal. 
The issue of foreign interference deserves serious and robust debate. I will continue to invite disagreement on my recommendations, but will not be deterred from completing my work. That's Johnston from earlier today telling the Procedure Committee allegations about his integrity and independence are false, and he plans to start his public hearings next month. This is a no-brainer, and the Prime Minister can do it. He's got to stop passing the buck and pretending he can't do it. Do it do the responsible thing and put this monster back in a maximum security prison where he belongs. The Conservative leader Pierre Polyev is demanding an order to keep Paul Bernardo and other mass murderers in maximum security for their entire sentences. Correctional officials are taking a second look at Bernardo's transfer to a medium security institution. Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino says he cannot reverse the decision, but is open to looking at changes once that review is done. Mr. Polyev, the leader of the official opposition, has said this, that they're going to use every tactic they can to block us from moving forward. Well, that is not democracy. That's what we heard from the government House leader on moving the Liberal agenda through Parliament. The House of Commons is sitting late all week as we near the summer break. Conservatives have pledged delay tactics to block the budget implementation bill, though MPs did pass a motion today limiting debate on Bill C-47. I also want to highlight that uh, Minister Blair uh, has kept the opposition leaders apprised. Uh, there was another briefing for opposition leaders last night. Uh, everyone is completely aligned and working together and trying to keep Canadians safe across the country. The Prime Minister on wildfires this morning while outside smoke was blanketing Parliament Hill. There are wildfires burning near the national capital region and across the country there are still over 400 wildfires, more than half remain out of control. And finally, we are watching tomorrow for the Bank of Canada's next decision on interest rates. The bank has kept its target at 4.5% since January. That is after seven rate hikes last year. With the economy stronger than expected so far in 2023, experts say another rate hike is possible tomorrow or in July. And of course, we'll have full coverage of that rate decision for you right here on Primetime Politics tomorrow. But for now, I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here, thank you for watching. We'll see you again soon. But stay with CPAC up next. Estabéjean avec l'essentiel.